The Pre-Paces podcast is brought to you by two brilliant sponsors. Paces Ahead is a fantastic four-day face-to-face paces course run in Brentford, London. They bring you a whole host of patients with fascinating stories and reliable signs, and these patients are absolutely delighted to allow you to hone your exam skills prior to exam day. Some of the patients actually are used in the exams themselves, and the next courses are running from the 20th to the 23rd of May, and then I will be helping out on the course running on the 28th to the 31st of May. Please do come and say hello. I'd love to have a chat and hopefully help you on your way to passing your paces. But if you can't make the course for whatever reason, our other sponsor, Pass Test, has got you covered with their market-leading online revision resource. There are tons of videos which help you revise from the comfort of your own home. And most listeners that I've spoken to have said this is equally essential for your paces success. But that's enough for me for now. Let's get into this week's episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. Hi guys, Sam Williams here, welcoming you back to the Pre-Paces Podcast. And this week, we are taking a break from the hardcore medical topics and having a relaxed sit-down with our very first returning guest. Yes, that's right, Dr. Jenny Goff, who starred in our very first episode, is back after passing paces at her first attempt. We discussed how she managed after having multiple exam cancellations, how this affected her vision, as well as everything she learned along the way to success in the MRCP. I was absolutely delighted for Jen and it was great to chat about all sorts of things which I hope you will find useful in the lead up to your exams. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the episode and let's get into it. Welcome to the Pre-Paces podcast, and today we are delighted to welcome back a true modern-day success story. We are welcoming back Dr. Jenny Goff, who you may remember from the very first episode of this podcast. Over the last month or so, Jenny has just found out that she has passed the MRCP Paces at her first attempt. So Jen, first of all, welcome back to the show, and huge congratulations on your success. Thank you very much. It's nice to be back. So... Today, we are hoping to pass on to our listeners some of your very best tips and advice in preparing to succeed in the MRCP PACES exams and pass first time just like you have. Sounds good? Sounds good to me. Cool. Well, let's get into it. So, Jen, just to set the scene... And without giving too much away, because we don't want to be too specific about where exactly you went or what exactly came up, how far away did you have to go? What were the logistics like and the organisation that you had to do before or when you were on the way to the exam? So I'll start by saying my exam was on a Sunday, which I think does happen quite often. Um Unfortunately, I was also on call on the weekend. I was supposed to have my exam, so I had to swap um, some shifts around a little bit, which was fine in the end. But the exam itself was three-hour drive away, uh, which meant, and it started. It was a morning exam, so it started at eight o'clock in the morning. So, it meant a kind of overnight stay beforehand to really get there on time. Okay, and you drove yourself. You didn't get the train or anything like that. No, I did look at the trains, but. It was a lot of swapping and I just thought I'd rather just drive there myself. 
and, and know that I was going to get there with plenty of time and not have a train breakdown or anything like that. Sure, sure. And Airbnb or local hotel or...? Just a hotel, yeah. And it was it was in a place where it might be quite popular to visit, so I'd probably just say... I don't know <laughs> if I'm allowed to say... <laughs> I, you know, but... Uh, it might be advisable to, to book early if you if you know you're going to need a hotel, especially now the country's sort of opening up again. Um, there wasn't much left by the time I booked something. Yeah, certainly good advice there, especially now that restrictions are sort of slightly lifting around the country, making sure that you're booking in advance as a lot of popular tourist hotspots may well be booked up. So yeah, really important to check, check before you travel, as they say. Yeah. And you, you said it was a morning exam. So do you have any particular sort of superstitions or habits that you like to get into before the exam? Not really. I think having it in the morning is definitely better. I don't know how you feel, but I think getting out the way was very helpful. I didn't really do much apart from wake up, go to the exam, do the exam. But I know there was an afternoon exam, which I think would have been quite stressful if you'd had to wait the whole morning to sit it. So. Yeah, I guess for the listeners, it depends on what they're comfortable with i sort of preferred making sure that i got enough rest i wasn't worried about having to get up you know super early meant i could have a nice relaxed get up get some leisurely breakfast make sure i was well hydrated and i i mean for for what it's worth look at some last minute notes just to get your brain firing again before the exam but I think, to be honest, for listeners, it's going to be whatever works for you and whether or not, you know, you're a morning person or a uh, night owl or, or whatever, just making sure that, you know, you're making the situation work as, as best for you as you can. I will say, though, we I, I went with a colleague and we arranged to meet in the hotel lobby in the morning and then realised that we weren't in the same hotel. <laughs> and then... We we're gonna gonna walk to the the centre together. So sort of last minute dash to book a taxi and go on my own, which were, was probably more stress than I needed. Oh my god, really? At the time. But never mind. Check check your friends in the same hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so Jen, although you had that slightly stressed moment just before when you actually had to go to the exam centre, how did you feel once you'd sort of arrived? How was the sort of immediate pre-exam situation? How, how were you feeling at that time? Obviously I was, I was really nervous, but I think it was, it was fine really. The centre was quite welcoming um, and it was very helpful because like I said, I had a colleague of mine that was there. So I knew somebody, which I think helped quite a lot because you sort of went into this room and then had to sit down and write all your forms. There's lots of sort of awkward silences where you sort of just think about what's about to happen because mm. there's nothing else to do. Yeah, I think that's my experience as well. Like generally, the people who work there all know that you're going to be really nervous, so they're just sort of they are they are as friendly as they can possibly be. But there's it's very difficult to try and alleviate that that amount of nerves, even if they are being really nice and friendly and 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 everything else. So you said you maybe weren't as nervous as you could have been if mm. if you hadn't had your colleague there as a bit of relief to at least know someone mm-hmm. how nervous were you actually going into the exam itself i think i've been more nervous in in my life i felt i, I did feel reasonably prepared which i think helped with other things i can think of interviews the cmt interview or imt interview that i went to and medical school interviews i've definitely been more nervous for those and it's hard to know exactly why, but I wonder if it's just feeling a little bit more prepared and 
it's it's your, at, at the end of the day it's kind of your job that you're doing rather than showing yourself off or you know doing things that you do on a day-to-day basis so I didn't feel as as nervous as I could have done. I guess a part of that must be because something we haven't really touched on yet is the fact that you had your exam delayed several yeah. times because of the pandemic. Yes. So just tell us a bit about that. So how many sort of rescheduled dates did you have or when was your like original date when you were due to sit? So the original was 15th or 14th of March that time and I felt very stressed for that because it was sort of six weeks to go we were still on a surge rotor I had no time off I was thinking I'm not going to be able to be prepared for this then they cancelled all of the exams up until the day before mine <laughs> um, so still going to go ahead with this one and then they cancelled that exam as well and moved it to May um, but that was the only major reschedule but in hindsight, I think that was good for me. It gave me time to actually prepare. And because the pandemic was sort of quieting down, I could have time off, I could have study leave before. So I think at the end of the day, that worked well. But it it is frustrating when you hype yourself up to do something and then last minute they say, well, actually, no, but needs must. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of it, or part of maybe the reason why you felt prepared is obviously because you had that you know, that extra time, which maybe if you had had that initial exam when you'd only had a matter of weeks to get prepared, you may have felt more nervous than you than you did because you didn't have that time. So I guess all, all we would say to listeners is basically your preparation isn't, to, in, isn't just to make sure that you are, you know, slick, thorough, systematic, professional, etc. It's actually telling yourself that and reassuring yourself when you come to the exam that you've done enough preparation to pass. Yeah. And you can do it. And this is what you've done for the last two weeks, uh, weeks, and you can you can absolutely go in there and, and perform. Yeah. And so in terms of sort of going through the sort of acute, you know, the acutely stressful experience of the exam itself, one source of sort of significant stress which the listeners might encounter on the exam day is the examiners themselves during any station. So how were the examiners with you, Jen? At the beginning, the head examiner actually came in to where we were writing the forms and introduced himself and gave us some last minute tips, which was really nice, um, both from sort of a personal level um, and again, just to make us feel sort of at ease. And then he also, (laughs) he's such a nice man, but he also came round, so we had a rest station in between our communication skills stations. And he came and spoke to everybody when they were on their rest station just to say, how's it going? Are you all right? So he was lovely. Um, The other examiners, I just thought it was quite hard to read. They were all quite polite, um, quite professional, very professional. So it was difficult to know, you probably found this, how he'd actually done. Um, I only encountered sort of one that was a, a little bit harsh. It's maybe what I would say. He just... Um, grilled me quite a lot and challenged the things that I'd said in the station um, and asked some quite specific questions I didn't know the answers to and sort of left the exam feeling like that was the worst thing that's ever happened but he was the only one and actually looking back on it now I didn't do that badly in that station so I think he was just you know that was just him and it wasn't anything personal yeah 
interesting. So I guess the lesson there is that even if you know you might come out of a specific station thinking, "Oh God, you know it's the worst experience of my life," and you know I, he, you know, they've grilled me to within an inch of my life, and you know I'm definitely going to fail that station. That's not always the case. And just going back to one thing you said, you said that the the head examiner gave you a bit of advice. What did he actually say to you before the exam? Oh gosh. Um... This is going to be bad because I think I was so nervous that I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember him coming in and saying things and it was all very nice and good and his advice was very good. But I don't, I think he was just saying similar things to what we just said, actually, like, don't get too flustered. Um, if you have a bad station, put it behind you, move on, all that sort of. Just nice reassuring. Yeah, you know, we're here if you have any questions, that sort of thing. It was just nice to see a familiar, like a friendly face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then in terms of the um, content of the station itself, now I know we're not going to talk about the specifics, but were there any particular curveball stations where you know you got completely thrown by what was in front of you? No, actually. I think overall everything was really fair. The only... Anything, I was going to say two things. Um, one which I wasn't expecting was in the neuro station they actually didn't specify whether to examine upper or lower limbs. The card just said, examine the neurology of this patient. And I sort of looked at them and went, what do you want me to do? And he just sort of was like, whatever you want. Mm. <laughs> so all I did was, I just did legs. And I didn't even finish the like the whole exam with the legs, but that's what I chose to do. So I got them to walk and stuff. Um, but... I wasn't expecting them to be so vague about that. But I passed the station again, so it kind of been that they were looking for you to do the entire thing in the time. They were just maybe looking for you to focus on something. And I think the other thing for listeners just to take from that would be just make a judgment call based on what the lead into the station is and just decide, you know, in a split second what's going to be the highest yield of, of examining a patient and I guess thinking about if this was a patient on the medical take what would I do to try and demonstrate I've got an understanding or try and demonstrate I can efficiently assess and detect signs which might lead to a particular presentation and then the the second thing I was just gonna say about is one of the station fives or both station fives we were talking about this earlier weren't we um didn't have so I've been sort of led to practice station fives where it's a very obvious diagnosis as you walk into the room but both of mine were almost history type things and I don't believe any of my actors had any signs I think they were both actors rather than patients which I wasn't expecting I was expecting a big rheumatoid hands or something that's really clear um, but it was a bit more more rounded um, rather than just seeing something quite simple <laughs> So now, just going on to the actual cases which you had, do you feel that they were fair cases, unfair cases, any big curveballs, anything you weren't expecting? No, I don't think so. Not, not, there was maybe one, trying trying not to give away exactly what it was, but there was one where they had signs, but maybe the signs didn't lead to a diagnosis that was classical of those signs if that makes sense so the the diagnosis in the end matched the signs but it wasn't what you'd first think of okay if you found that if that makes sense 
but I did I did get there and I think because it was difficult the examiners were quite willing to sort of be like what else could it be what else could it be what about this sort of thing um, and help you through it a bit more because it wasn't very obvious I think that makes a lot of sense really because most of the time you are going to naturally tend towards the diagnosis which is most common but I guess the key part of that is just to make sure you have a good range of differential diagnoses in your in your arsenal or that you've prepared for each given station just to make sure if that does happen I guess the worst case scenario would be the examiner saying what else could it be and then you're just (laughs) blank faced looking back at them so always having a list of potential differential diagnoses which would explain the signs in front of you. So Jen then just going back to your revision practice Mm -hmm. And preparation for the exam, what do you think were the things which were highest yield? Were the things which you, when you came to your exam, the things that you put into practice most in the actual exam? And then what were the things which you think, actually, this didn't really help my exam technique at all, and it probably won't really change drastically the chances of you being successful? I think one of the main things was we did a mock with two consultants and I appreciate not every trust might have access to that, but that was very helpful in that it was, it was people that weren't just, you know, your friends or some of the fellows that you work with quite, you know, regularly. It was proper sort of scary consultants <laughs> that weren't were prepared to grill you and things like that. Um, so that, that was, if you have a chance to do one of those, I think that's a really good thing because, again, it makes you nervous um, and makes you realise that although it is very nerve-wracking it's not the end of the world if you do say something a bit stupid or miss something and then they went through it all with us afterwards so that I'd say was a really helpful thing and then the we had lots of postgraduate clinical fellows which again I don't know if every trust has but ours were brilliant and did lots of kind of personal sessions with us where they take us to see fine patients beforehand take us to see patients would do it exactly like you would in the exam do the exam and then present, be grilled a little bit, and then have a discussion around it, essentially. So all of that was most helpful. So, yeah, I guess that's very dependent on a trust-to-trust basis as to how many how many consultants are available, how amenable they are to paces teaching. But again, I think, like we've said in previous episodes of the podcast, finding these people to supervise you doing yeah. timed exam practice is just so critical for your exam preparation and Jen it sounds like it really helped you there what about things which didn't really help with your paces preparation so much or maybe didn't really contribute to the way that you actually took the exam I did a lot of reading and wrote a lot of notes that I don't think maybe I think maybe they helped me in terms of when I get my knowledge up I feel more confident so having that kind of background knowledge helps me in that way. But in terms of actually doing the PACES exam, I don't think having a very intricate detail in the same way that maybe you did your part two is as important. So I probably wouldn't have spent as much time writing notes and reading notes and more time maybe saying things out loud, listing things and practising with patients. And so, Jen, you've been back at work for a few weeks after having found out that you've passed. (laughs) So how have things changed? Have you noticed anything that's changed since you've gone back to work? Um, 
not not a huge amount to be very honest I think um, obviously lots of people know you've done doing the exam so a lot of people asking you did you pass did you pass did you pass which when you don't know is quite can be quite I mean they just mean the best but you're a bit like oh and all these people like know and waiting for you to tell them it's quite a build-up of pressure isn't there yeah, people absolutely. consistently asking you and if you don't yeah. know and it I always felt it did put a lot of pressure on the outcome itself mm. yes definitely and as well because lots of people have like tried quite hard to help you and things you just you, you feel badly you know if you you don't let them down but you you would worry that that they'd feel that way um but no the main things are um they're definitely a little bit of a maybe you should act up as a registrar type push <laughs> <laughs> you know that sort of thing um a few requests luckily never well I, I don't actually mind doing this but not really come to fruition but sort of all would you mind acting up because we don't have a reg for this shift but then it gets covered last minute so it's fine that sort of thing um which again I, I don't mind um acting up now I think you've you sort of feel a little bit more validated that that you could do it if you if you wanted to and, and people would trust you to do it a bit more which is silly really because it doesn't really it I mean it does mean something but it, you know, as you say, it's just a tick in a box and probably a similar doctor either side of the exam, whether you pass or fail. Yeah, That's my feeling. just an interesting thing. It's, it's almost like sometimes, I don't know, if you work in a particularly busy hospital with a particularly busy take, you might actually just want to keep keep the old MRCP paces result under wraps so you, yes. <laughs> so you don't get drafted in. Ooh, <laughs> there. Yeah, as, as soon as the race coordinator <laughs> finds out they are licking their lips to get you on the rotor. One of the things that we were going to talk about is any skills which you think paces doesn't particularly prepare you for. Are there anything you think, well, actually, med do far more than is involved in paces? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I know that they were planning on changing the format of the exam before COVID and everything came along. Um, Personally, I think it's all a bit. It is a bit artificial, and and you wouldn't ever you know, examine someone and take, not speak to them at all, examine them for six minutes, and then just run away and decide their management based on that. Yeah. Um. So in terms of an actual um, reflective um, of real life practice, is I don't think it's very good at all, really. Um. And we were talking about before. I mean, the things like, community, you know. I guess it kind of does assess communication skills, but maybe not in a colleague to colleague sort of way like the med reg would have to do leadership and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I think the non-technical skills in paces is something which I think it would be really difficult to try and yeah. assess those well. You'd have to give someone a bleep and be like, this, yeah. is, your, this is your artificial med reg take. Yeah, and then maybe halfway through your station five, you get bleeped about something on the wards, and, yeah. then, and then you have to manage that and then come back to the to the patient in front God, of you. Let's not give them ideas. <laughs> you don't want to do that exam. <laughs> I think we said in the last episode you came on, when they do eventually change it to the new format of paces i do think there are some positive changes to be looked at there i think so particularly relating to the station fives where as we spoke about in the first episode it was eight minutes of patient contact time with a huge amount to do so actually 
the proposed increase in that time is only going to be a good thing. Yeah. Okay, Jan, I've got one last question for you. Okay. Which is, if you had to give yourself some advice before you started preparing for paces, so something you would have wanted to know looking into the future, about to sit, what do you think you would say to yourself three or four months ago when you first were approaching paces? I think I would say maybe put the books down and just go and see patients and get used to that style of seeing people. And maybe also like stop doubting yourself so much. You do this all the time. (laughs) You can do it. You'll be fine. That's some really good advice. And I thought as we come to the end of this episode of the podcast, I thought I'd just leave the listeners with some just parting thoughts which I'd sort of reflected on and considered and also had taken from some colleagues of mine as well, which is that in reality, very little actually changes, as you've described, Jen, that one day you'll be paces negative, the next day after the email comes or after you check on the MRCP website, you know, you'll be paces positive and the outcome is there. I think it's at that point that you realise it was never really about the destination of getting the tick in the MRCP box, but actually it was about the learning and the development that you went through along the way. I think we're going to leave the listeners with that and we'll say a massive thanks for coming back, Dr. Jenny Goff, who is now a modern day success story, MRCP positive. Jen, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy it. (laughs) So we are just about out of time for today's episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please do give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. It's at prepacespodcast. You can email us, prepacespodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next time on the Prepaces Podcast. <laughs>